that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're going to do something weird and fun. Really weird. When I was doing my trying to figure this out for myself, I thought this is difficult. We are going to draft the best Big Ten head coaches in football and men's basketball combined. That's 28 head coaches. We are going to do a seven round draft with the three of us. We will draft 21 of the 28 coaches. The parameters are your good program X trying to be good in the next three to five years or so. So it's a little forward thinking if you want to factor in age, but it's, you know, you kind of try to throw in a little recruiting expertise along with the coaching because you're trying to build a program here. So um, Nathan, I, 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 first, listen, I know there are some people who listen to this who only want football. There are a decent number of people who are interested in basketball. I hope that people find this interesting because as always, we do a lot of drafts on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast with the Browns. The number one reason you do it is to try to place your people in context. So we are trying to place Ryan Day and Chris Holtman in the context of the best coaches in the Big Ten in the two biggest sports. So I find that to be a valuable exercise, even if maybe you're a person who listens to this for Ohio State football and isn't the biggest Ohio State basketball fan in the world. This is kind of fun. Yeah, and I think it gave me a perspective on where I think those two sports are nationally relative to each other as far as like the depth of coaching talent, the depth of like proven coaching talent, guys who we think have actually won before and then maybe guys who at this stage have proven they can't win and and how those balance out. I want to make sure as we're drafting this, though, you said like what what parameters are we drafting on? Because you said um, – You'll, they'll be good with a good team in the next five years. But like we're talking about national championship, right? Like who could who most likely to win a national championship? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think, right. Like we have a good program. We think we're capable of winning it all. But we have high expectations. We have good resources. We have an engaged fan base. And we want a coach who can take us to the promised land. So I think that's a, that's a fair way to think about it. You, you, it might, you might not get fired if you don't win a national championship in the next three to five years, but man, you better have us competing up there. Right. Right. And, and not that, not that we're drafting that their team would win in that. It's like a fictitious team. Yeah. Good team right. X. Okay. Good team. X. Make sure everyone understands that before in either sport, we're athletic department X. We're ambitious. We're kind of new on the scene, but man, we gotta, we gotta lay the land here. Like, Hey, we got a couple hires to make. Who are our priorities? All these guys are open for bidding. Who are we going after? Steven, did you find this difficult, fun, easy, interesting, boring, weird? What was it like putting this list together? Um, the rules for how I went about picking the few basketball coaches that are on my draft board are very different than the rules I had to assign with, with football for obvious reasons here. Because especially now that these we've set the parameters here, it's a little bit more realistic for some of these basketball coaches to be able to accomplish that depending on what their environment is than some of these football coaches. Yeah. So we're trying, I mean, it's hard. You got to take the guy out of the environment a little bit. There's a lot of pro coaches, I think in this league, both sports who sort of fit their environment. So you got to pull them out of their environment a little bit and try to think about them in a different way going through it. And our plan for the Wednesday podcast is we're going to do a ranking of the best combined 
football and men's basketball programs, one through 14 in the Big Ten. Take those two together, smush them together. Who's the best? We'll send that out to the texters as well and get their votes on that. That'll be the Wednesday pod. This will help inform this. But I just remember 10 years ago, whenever it was, when I was doing both basketball and football, and I was the only guy covering Ohio State for us. Some of the stuff with Wisconsin, like at that time, like that, especially when I, when Ohio State and Wisconsin were in the same football division, whatever they were, legends or leaders, I can't remember. It was such a great rivalry because like Wisconsin was so good at both, right? Like Brett Bielema and Bo Ryan were like a great combination to be going at Jim Trestle and Thad Mata. And then, you know, like that was that was fun. Like it's I like thinking about the combined program stuff. So we'll do that. On Wednesday, we'll send it out on Tuesday to the texters, 614-350-3315, so they can vote in that. I thought there were a couple programs where the coaches, you know how they say that when you own a dog, you start to look like your dog? No. <laughs> yes, that's I've heard, I've heard. I've, never, I've heard that you start to like look like your significant other and talk like them. I've never heard the dog portion. Oh, no. Sometimes you start to look like a dog. My dog, as a result, is... Very handsome. I thought there were a couple coaches here where when you start looking at the men's basketball coach and the football coach, you start drawing some parallels. There are some guys like, oh, you know, they're, they're kind of alike like that. Like Greg Gard and Paul Christ. It's like, I don't know. What is, like, what is exactly the difference between those guys? And like Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost. It's like, man, those were two big time hires at Nebraska that have absolutely fallen on their faces. You know, like you start going through some of this stuff and there is kind of a vibe almost to a program, to a university, to an athletic department. So I don't want to give too much away. I will say, I thought there was a top tier here that was kind of small, Nathan. When I thought about like, hey, these are my top guys. And then all, then you get to the like, well, now there's kind of a mismatch. I'm not sure where to go. There weren't a, as many people clear cut at the top to me as maybe I expected. No, I agree with that. Um, it, 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 you know, it, but especially if we're putting the parameters on here of a national championship, it's not like this is a group of guys where there are a lot of who, who have climbed that mountain. All right. As one. And a lot of them have never even been close. Really. I mean, realistically close. Some of them never really even knocked on the door. So uh, it that makes it a little bit tougher. That's where it does become like this speculation thing where like, uh, has this person um, actually shown enough that they're like right on the cusp and it's just one of those things where they haven't quite pushed through or is, are, are there coaches on this list who maybe institutionally are held back a little bit? And if you were to just give them a great collection of talent in a short amount of time, they could turn it into a, a, as good a team as anybody in the country. That's going to be a fun thing to speculate about. I do think, though, I think in football right now, in the Big Ten, there's clearly one team that competes for a national championship every year. And I would say there are maybe three other teams that at their very, very best have a chance to peak up and get in the national championship mix. And I think that's probably Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin. That's, we're not having that debate here. But in basketball, Stephen, I think we've seen it proven and it's been two decades since the Big Ten has won a national championship in basketball, but all the programs that have been to national championship games, Illinois and Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State and Wisconsin, there is a, there's a more of a breadth of teams capable of competing, not just in the Big Ten, but competing for Final Fours. Now, not winning it, but getting pretty close that 
with the football stuff, you have to sort of imagine things more. Where I think with the basketball, Stephen, you don't have to imagine it quite as much because the best of the Big Ten at least has a chance to get in the mix at maybe half the programs in the conference. So then what you're judging here is with football, it's more who can build a championship level program, which might take two or three years to do anyway. While with basketball, it's like, which coach can motivate his team to get hot for a month? Who can get, let's get in. And then who can get hot for a month? And we've seen, as you just listed four or five different teams already, different coaches already proved that they can do that. So it's a little bit more realistic. All right, let's get to the draft. Steven, you have first choice of where you want to pick because you're in the muck right now as the tournament starts. Do you want the first pick or would you rather pick second or third? I'm taking the first pick. All right, Steven has never the first had the first pick in these drafts, so I'm taking the first pick. Take your victory lap on that one. Nathan, you want the second pick or the third pick? Um, I'll take the third pick. And then we'll snake that baby. So, okay. Yeah. So, Steven will pick first. I will pick second. Nathan will pick third. Third, again, it is the 28 Big Ten coaches in football, men's basketball. I will say there are four men's basketball coaches who are in year one with their programs, which makes it a little difficult to evaluate. I'm not saying you can't draft those guys. Also, if you had said, Doug, for $1 million, name the head coach of Minnesota men's basketball, (laughs) I'd be here for a month. It starts with a B. Is it Bill? Is it Bob? Is it Bush? And Johnson. I don't, I have, I don't even know who that is. I know it. I kind of knew it wasn't Richard Pitino anymore. I had no idea. And I didn't know who had taken over for Mark Turgeon at Maryland Danny once Manning. he left. And I was like, Danny Manning? Danny Manning? He is very <laughs> famous. So then also Micah Shrewsbury at Penn State, who I think has done a good job, had a good one over Ohio State. Matt Painter loves him, was a very respected assistant at, at, uh, in, at uh, Purdue. And then Mike Woodson at Indiana, who's been around. Man, that guy's got a resume as long as your arm. He's just in his first year at Indiana. So those are the first, those are the four first-year coaches in basketball. Brett Bielema just finished his first year at Illinois in football. Again, you can draft anybody you want. I just don't have a great feel for Ben Johnson, whose existence I became aware of 15 minutes ago. Steven, first pick, who you got? Izzo. Literally because he's the only person on this list who's proven he can win a national championship with the program. And I I understand he's 67 years old, but he doesn't knock on wood. He's not the next Hall of Fame college basketball coach to call it quits. I mean, that seems to be the running trend right now. But Michigan State's still one of the better teams in the Big Ten. They're in the tournament again. Um, He's still Izzo. This is March is still his month where he starts to make runs and stuff. I know he'll have years where he'll disappointingly get upset in the first round or the second round, but then he'll also have years where he's making deep tournament runs and they're winning the Big Ten. And but this all boils down to we're having an exercise about which which of these coaches can lead their program to a national championship. So the guy who's already proven he can do it and gotten the multiple national championship games has to be the first guy off the board here. I find it very interesting when the bracket came out that here in coach K's final tournament with Duke. He's staring at Izzo in round two. Yep. That'll be interesting. Um, I think this is a slam dunk first choice. This is like if you had a draft while Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler were coaching in football. And it's like, I don't know, take one of the greatest guys of all time. Who's still doing it at a high level. Nathan, is this a slam dunk number one pick for you? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no question. There's just really nobody else on this list is an all-time great coach 
the same way Izzo is. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Like he's almost to Big Ten coaches now what Nick Saban is to SEC coaches. Not quite the same thing just because he um, hasn't won as many national titles, obviously, as Saban does. So that's a a tough comparison. But like the one guy who – it's not just like that one championship 20 years ago was a one-off either. Like they've repeatedly gone to the Final Four. They were there three years ago. And it's happened – it's been over an expanse of time that he's consistently kept this program in that conversation. I think it's no question he's the number one. Okay, that was the obvious pick. This is slightly less obvious to me. I had a top three that I thought was the top tier. And I'm a little conflicted between these two guys, but I'm a sucker for this guy. I always have been. I think there's there's part of his resume. The consistency of his resume, I think, is can't argue it. And he's had kind of two eras to his career. He was allowed to sort of succeed, drop off, and then stick around and rebuild it back up. But he hasn't had the postseason success, which is a ding. But it's not enough of a ding to knock him out of the number two spot. And I'll take Matt Painter at Purdue. I'm, I'm not a thousand percent sure of this pick, but this guy has established Purdue as a dominant program. He had one, two, three, a stretch of four seasons there uh, about a decade ago where they didn't finish in the top 20 in the AP poll. But before that and since then, they've, they're consistently a top 20 AP team like they often sort of end up disappointing in the tournament, Nathan. And probably this is the part where I should let you talk about Matt Painter because you obviously have a better read on this than anybody. Is this too high for Matt Painter in your opinion? Well, he was number two on my basketball coaches list. I don't know if I was going to take him number two. I think I was probably going to lean football and will with my next picks. Um, it's, it's really interesting because, yes, they haven't had the NCAA success, like sustained NCAA success. They finally went to an Elite Eight a couple of years ago. They've been to a few Sweet 16s. But really, when you compare him to the rest of the Big Ten, and especially when you compare him to this list, because like during his tenure, it's Izzo, Thad Mata, and Bo Ryan, I would say, all had higher like sustained Big Ten peaks. But that's kind of it, right? Yeah. Um, nobody else in the Big Ten had uh, – and, and I'm sorry, and John Beeline. So, but none of those guys are still in the league. And of the guys who are remaining, I would put him behind Izzo just in terms of sustained success. And again, like I was at that game three years ago. They're seconds away from being at the final four and and beating the team that that won the whole thing. So it's not like they've completely fallen on their face every year in the tournament, but they have done that enough, literally fallen on their face in, in some bad upsets that it is something that, until they push through that, that's, that's always going to be a little bit of a stain. But I think that's a very defensible pick just because of the consistency and because he's doing it at Purdue. And I know that it's equalized a little bit in basketball in the way it's not in football. Still not an easier place to win than a lot of other places in the Big Ten. And when you look at the way that Indiana is completely that's what I was gonna a, say. a yeah. tire fire, and it's like, oh, Purdue's just Purdue. Steven, did you, is this about right for Painter, or are you surprised I picked him at two? I'm, I'm fine with him being the second basketball coach, but if he had gone third or fourth, Clifton football coach went ahead of him, I would have been cool with that as well. But yeah, that was going to be my exact point. I mean, you compare it to what Indiana is doing, who's supposed to be, you know, the school with, you know, three bit shares of a Big Ten title since Painter's been there, right? And it's supposed to be making these deep tournament runs and doing all this stuff, and yet Purdue's doing it. You got to give credit to Matt Painter there. So yeah, it's fine. You guys want to do a little trivia? There are six coaches on this list among the 28 who have been leading their programs, the program they are at now. They've been the head coach of that program for at least 10 years. 
Can you guys name the six? Nathan, you six. start. We'll go back well, and forth. Izzo and Painter, obviously. Izzo so Painter he wants to name two. the other four. Steven, um, go ahead and name two. Ferrets yep. and Fitzgerald. It's Pat Fitzgerald and Kirk Ferentz, yes. Uh, Nathan, name one more. Fran McCaffrey. Fran McCaffrey. He's been there 12 years at Iowa. And <laughs> Steven, the last one, just got to think about it the right way because it's a little tricky. And, I, and it almost messes up the question. But it's no. how long were, have they been the coach yep. for their program? Maybe not consecutively. Oh, Shiano. Greg Shiano. So there's six guys. So also when I'm talking about Painter, he's the third longest tenured guy behind Tom Izzo and Kirk Ferentz. That's going to factor in a little bit for me as well. He's done it consistently. He's still doing it at a high level. That put him over the top against some other people in my thought process who haven't been doing it for quite as long. All right, Nathan, you're up with a third pick. Third and fourth, correct? Correct. I think the third pick is not that hard. Um, I'm going to take Ryan Day. I would trust Ryan Day if you gave him any program and gave him, again, here's where the recruiting resources come into play. But I think there's enough – He's a proven enough recruiting acumen on his own that I think, and especially knowing now what he knows at Ohio State, I think he could take over program and assuming the resources are there, I think he would assemble the talent and know what to do with it. And five years later, um, have them winning at a really high level. I, I, you know, I know it's only three years, but at the same time, the fact that he has been in that position for Ohio State, he's played in a national championship game. They've been to the playoffs. Um, there's just a lot to respect there. And I, I think it's a pretty easy choice and pretty easy choice as the number one football guy I would take. That's my top tier. I think these three, and then there's a line to me where I become less certain, but both for Steven and Nathan, Steven, you first, where was Ryan day on your individual list? Um, he was the first football coach but I'm not as sold on it as you two are. I don't – and it's not fair. It's just he uh, – I, I, I'm trying to not penalize him for starting off where at the most healthy program in the world, but that's where he started. And so with some of these exercises, you have to look at guys' resumes and go, what if they had this backing? What if they had this environment? How much more could they do? You don't have to have that imagination with Ryan Dick because he just started there. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I, I'm not dinging him for it, but I'm not going to put him on the same tier as Painter and Izzo because Michigan State has had some, you know, they had Magic Johnson at one point. So I'm not going to make it seem like there was like a Michigan State was terrible before Izzo showed up there, but it's not, he didn't start with a luxury vehicle. He turned the program into a luxury vehicle. Matt Painter has turned Purdue in a certain things into a luxury vehicle. So I, I kind of, I awarded guys who have done let more with less than Ryan Day, who has just done more with already having more. I mean, Izzo took over for Judd Heathcote and Matt Painter yeah. took over for Gene Cady. And those were both longtime successful head coaches, yeah. not quite at the Urban Meyer level, but like good. Yeah, I would say Izzo and Painter, definitely Izzo has elevated Michigan State from the Heathcote level. Mm-hmm. But Judd was good. I, Nathan has painter elevated from the gene Katie standard, or is it pretty similar or even maybe 5% lower? No, I would say that he is in, you mean 
really just extended it. The Gene Cady, because if you go back, what did Purdue do during the Gene Cady era? They won Big Ten championships, and they we were you know were a solid NCAA tournament team year after year after year, and never made a Final Four. And I think made only one Elite Eight under Cady, if even that. I think they made one. So like it's been like it's it's the same resume almost. Yeah, it, it it's very uncanny how that has followed upon itself. So uh, I would say I would just say pretty pretty equal. It's been a pretty sustained experience at Purdue going back to 1981. But even with that one, there was like a little fall off at the end there. But to the point, yeah, for the most part, it's yeah, pretty much the same. So I'm I'm very comfortable with this top three. To me, the the if if someone wants to make a really strong argument for Day over Painter, Day as number two. I, I would hear that, but I, I struggled slightly. But then in the end, you know, 17 years for Painter is what made I, him the, over Ryan Day for me. I would have I think I would have taken day two. OK, I think that's I think I would have just, just because because Painter's been there for 17 years and it's it's one elite eight trip. And you know what I'm saying? And only mm-hmm. and only the one then I think you it when does where does where is longevity in your favor and where does it become like, oh, no, like there's the plateau or whatever. Like painter definitely fair, but painter definitely has a ding. Ryan sure. day doesn't have a ding, but also maybe Ryan day hasn't been here long enough to have a ding. Right. So it's right. one of those things. If, if they continue to have problems on the defensive side of the ball for the next five years, then he's going to have a ding. But at the moment we think, Oh, well, he's probably fixed that. So he's okay. All right. Who's your fourth. But, and again, this is the line to me. I, I, I thought this was a pretty clear top three and I am very, uncomfortable. I have some guys ninth and 10th who I'm not so sure shouldn't be fourth and fifth. I am very uncomfortable. I'm very curious to see where this goes and we'll do it next on Buckeye talk back with the fourth pick in our draft of men's basketball coaches and football coaches in the big 10. Nathan, who you got? So like you, I feel like there's a drop here. I'm staying in football and um I know that this person was defined for a long period by their inability to win big games before they finally broke through this year. Mm. But I'm going to go ahead and lose the fan vote here and take Jim Harbaugh. Um, it It's obviously true that the Michigan experience had underwhelmed prior to this year. But, and I know he had Andrew Luck at Stanford, but at Stanford, they were a top, five team. He had success at San Diego. Um, I think there's reason to believe again, you're looking at a short window who would win you a national championship in a short window. I think the argument is as good that he could do it as anybody. I would take the argument that he could do it over other football coaches in the big 10 who have succeeded at a similar level. Steven, you had a short window before people start getting. Yeah. Can we first define short window before? Okay. Before people start getting sick and tired of him and he leaves again. Okay. Um, Yeah. Steven grunted. Yeah. This is, I get it, but I think this is too high. And I think what happened this year is propping him up a little higher than he should have been drafted. And he did it this year. Like what he did it, but so what Ed Ed Orgeron won a national championship and then LSU fell flat on his face the very next year. LSU is a dumpster fire waiting to happen at all times. Like that's a, that's a tough comparison to make. I understand again, but I guess, 
I just want to hear what the argument will be that there should be football, any football coaches drafted ahead of Harbaugh. That's what I'm, that's what I want to hear. So, so I will say like Steven, that comparison, it's like, well, you know, coach O had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, then kind of fell off a cliff when they left, but it's like, well, Jim Harbaugh had Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo and Dax Hill, who all might go in the first round of this draft and they're going to leave. And are they going to fall off a cliff? I, I, Nathan, I, I understand what you want to say that who else belongs ahead of him on the football coaches list. I will say four of my top five are basketball coaches. And so that's where, but I also have Harbaugh 10th and I have other football people ahead of him. I can't remember the last time we did a football coach draft like this. I have no idea when it was, but I'm just going by what I think today. I dinged him a little bit, Nathan, for what has happened since they lost in the playoff, right? That it's like, hey, this is our guy. Three to five years, lead the program. And it's like, is he, is he going to come to my new program X and have wandering eyes? Like, but, and like, what does that mean for the program? Because when it happened, I said, listen, this is how it works. It's not his fault. I'm not blaming Jim Harbaugh. But in a list like this, when I'm comparing him to other coaches, I don't know. That affected me a little bit. I, I suppose I, I hadn't factored that in at all. I just didn't know that we were like. Um... No, I know. Yeah projecting it quite to that right. extent i thought it was more um since we're just making this school up out of nowhere and f- fully funding the athletic department overnight i thought maybe we were going just by like execution on the field and i'll, I'll, I'll listen to an argument that the jim harbaugh shouldn't be there i just i just i think on paper i don't know what football coaches to put ahead of him and i think on the basketball side of things um, it's going to be even more speculative than it is for Jim Harbaugh that they can get to the level that we're talking about. Cause at least Harbaugh's played in the playoff and I know basketball and football, it's a, it's a different gauge, but not a lot of other great success on the basketball side of things, as far as like getting deep in NCAA tournaments and that sort of thing. This is hard. Okay. That's your pick. We can talk about it more as we get in. I think there's a, say I between my four and my 11 or 12 I could flip them honestly and so I had Harbaugh 10th but I I could see him in the top five so I'm not like strongly disagreeing with this and I'm going to make my pick based on my list I hate this pick and I'm sure it's wrong and I'm sure it's wrong and I'm sure it's wrong but I think it's possible that right now this guy is currently leading the second most likely program in the big 10 to win a national title in the next couple of years and i'm not basing that off anything other than recent performance of the program i don't know their recruiting class or that kind of thing and i and i i don't like this i don't even want to do it i'm not going to do it i pass nay steven piss no, I can't no. pass. No, no, no. I can't pass. I don't feel good about it, but I know there are people who think this program might make the final four right now. And I'm not sure why this program is as good as it is. It's not really because of this guy, but there's a little bit of a Ryan Day argument here of keeping the ship full steam ahead at a high level. And I'm going to take Greg guard from Wisconsin. And I feel weird on the inside Buckeye talk. I don't 
know. I don't know, but I don't. First of all, you know who was a stone cold killer? And I think we knew it at the time, but I'm not sure we knew it really to the level it was. Bo Ryan will cut off his opponent's legs and leave them to bleed to death at center court in the best possible way. Bo Ryan was so good at his job, he got Ohio State sports fans to hate him. Do you know how hard it is to get somebody who likes Ohio State to hate the Wisconsin basketball coach? Are you kidding me? They shouldn't even know who that is. They wanted, they they were hanging Bo Ryan in effigy. What a tenure. And Greg Gard took over in the middle of the year. Bo Ryan engineered it. He's his guy. They went to the Elite Eight in the half, in the half Bo Ryan, half Greg Gard year. They went through the Elite Eight again the next year. Then they missed the tournament. Then they made the tournament and lost the first the round. Sweet then 16, we had the Sweet 16, Sweet 16. Oh, sorry. Sweet, not Elite Eight. Sweet 16. Yeah, many Elite Eight. Yep. Two straight Sweet 16s, missed the tournament, made the tournament, lost in the first round, COVID year. Last year, lost in the second round. Now they're a three seed. Like if Wisconsin basketball is kind of back to the Bo Ryan level, the Bo Ryan level, they almost won a national title to the Frank Kaminsky teams. And like that's kind of almost where they are again. Steven, I have no idea what the recruiting is. I don't know if they're going away. I don't know if it's high level. But, Stephen, why is Wisconsin basketball this good? And if Greg Gard is kind of keeping it here, then I guess I have him in the top five. I would have heard an argument that he should have gone third because of the comparisons to Ryan Day with Bo Ryan being his urban Meyer. And they had the one year after they – after they, you know, had the back-to-back three sixteens, but then they're right back on top. They're, I mean, they just got to share the Big Ten this year. Um, they wiped the floor with Ohio State the second time they played them, and you know, they're a tournament team again. This is why I was a little. I put Izzo and Painter in a tier, and then Ryan Day was on the next tier, maybe by himself. But then, like, I probably I had gone next year after that. This, this exact pick is why I didn't want to put Ryan Day quite, quite up there with those two yet, because it's very similar. And guards just had a little bit more time to do it long. And see, I think Painter, or I think Izzo goes in his own tier, and then Painter and guard, to me, are, they're basically the same guy. Like, there's, you know, at Purdue, they had, like, a more, like, um, explicit succession plan that Katie had to go along with, whereas at Wisconsin, Bo Ryan came up with the succession plan and Barry Alvarez had to decide if he was going along with it, but very similar things, very similar kind of level of success. Now, Greg Gard, it's two big 10 championships in three years. Like he would have been my next basketball coach on the list. Bo Ryan coached at Wisconsin for 15 seasons. They made the tournament every year. And they like, it's like, remember when like, remember when Ohio State had Greg Oden and Mike Conley and you weren't, sure if they were better than Wisconsin or not. That's insane. It's like, well, they got Alondo Tucker. He was the Big Ten player of the year. It's like, what are we doing? It's Greg Oden. And Bo Ryan's like, I don't care. Greg Oden, whatever. We'll go toe-to-toe. It's amazing. And guard, I thought maybe, because guard, again, they had that drop-off year for one year, as you mentioned, Stephen. In that year, I was like, ooh, I don't know. Maybe this was a little overextended with this. But listen, Izzo was Heathcote's assistant for a long time. Pain like this, mm-hmm. these succession plans. If guard, guard might be the next Izzo. It's like, hey, he was an uh, assistant. Then he just he won at Wisconsin for 25 years. Again, I'm not sure why Wisconsin basketball is good, other than they now do this thing and guard has extended the Bo Ryan era. And so I feel good about the fact 
I was nervous. He was fourth on my list. And I was nervous about having him that high, but it seems like you guys are in basic agreements. Now I feel better about myself. Thank you. That's why I do this podcast to try to reinforce my fragile ego. Steven, six, six pick to you. And seven. Sticking basket, yeah, sticking basketball for the first pick, Brad Underwood. Took him two years to get the program going, but 21 and 10, 24 and 7, 22 and 9 this year. They were a number one seed last year. They're a number four seed this year. I mean, he's got arguably the best player in college basketball right now. Kofi Coburn is the only person averaging 20 points and 10 rebounds. They had Io DeSumo last year. He's playing pretty well for the Bulls right now. And to the point of the recruiting, they've got three top 100 recruits coming in next year. So this doesn't seem like it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. And Illinois was on its way to a dumpster fire when he took over that job after they fired John Gross and then hired Jamal Walker for the rest of this year and then brought him in. So it took him two years to reset everything and get Illinois back on pace to where it was with Bruce Weber. And now they're one of the best teams in college basketball every single year. Well, and it was actually a dip at the end of the Bruce Weber thing that John Gross could never really yeah. fully pull out of. That, that There's maybe been for a, a good section of years there, right? Like five, six years, there was probably no disparity in the Big Ten. Uh, maybe Nebraska football. I'll take that back. But certainly in basketball, no bigger discrepancy between where a program's fans think it should be and where it was. Because yeah. Illinois was was just uh, subterranean. Like, they were really bad. And and I he was next on my list for basketball um, right after guard because um, – of the heights that they've been able to get at these last now sustain it for a couple of years in just national esteem. Now, again, getting the tournament loose in the second round, get upset. Like some point, somebody on this list has to have some kind of a breakthrough, but I think there is still reason to believe that with with his experience, his background, the places he's been, the success he's had, I I would take him to put to put together something in in a small run. When they hired him, I was like, why'd they hire this guy? He was at Oklahoma State for one year. He had been at Stephen F. Austin before that. It felt like a little bit of a reach to me, and he's been really good. I had him 11th on my list, and when I said 4 through 11, I could flip. He was the end of that group. It feels a little early for me. He had two rebuilding years. This is his fifth season in Illinois. He had two rebuilding years. Year three was the COVID year. They would have made the tournament. Year four, they were a one seed and lost in the second round. Frankly, like Ohio State being a two seed, losing the first round, took a little heat off Illinois' tournament failures. You know who they Mm. lost to last year? Loyola as an eight. Illinois was the one. They lost in the second round. So good, right? But if we're like dinging Holtman for some stuff, it's like, well, what's Brad Underwood done? He had two rebuilding years, a COVID year, and then he lost in the second round as a one seed. So I'm not saying he's not good, but I held back a little bit because of that. But The thing, again, comparing some things, I think it's very possible what Brad Underwood did for Illinois basketball, Brett Bielema is going to do for Illinois football. I think that, like, Nathan, if we're talking about what's the the template for Brett Bielema, it's the guy on the other side of campus. It's right there. Give Brett Bielema two years to rebuild, and I think he's going to be challenging for West titles in football. Yeah, I'll be interested when we do that discussion tomorrow where Illinois ranks. I think Josh Whitman, the AD there, has has done a good job. Obviously, didn't pick the right guy at first with Lovey Smith. But, um, you know, putting together the two coaches he has there seems like it's going to work out pretty well. Um, And and I think it's interesting you bring up Underwood and Holtman because I think if you just look at these last two seasons, I think 
that's why I would have the, the separation that I have with those guys because one guy had a couple of like NBA bound players and they were number one seed and yeah, they lost in the second round, but that's different to me than like what Chris Holman's doing right now with two NBA bound players. That's where the separation is. You have to, yeah. you have to come up with some way to separate guys. And sure. if, if you're like sort of backing into the tournament, but first looking for a whooping, that's different than going in as a one seed, even if you do get upset in the second round. That's fair. <laughs> Nobody was thinking that, well, anybody outside of Loyola wasn't thinking that Illinois was going to lose in the second round. Loyola's favorited right now for Ohio State this season. Was that a little Beanfield talk right there? Back it oh, in, yeah. but that first was, looking for a whooping. That's that Beanfield champ- talk. That was Champagne, Illinois, right there. Or, well, actually, it's more like probably like uh, Pekin or something like that, somewhere outside Champagne. As a little, as a little Ogden. Can you please write that in a story? A story at some point. Oh, back it in, but first looking for a whooping. That was some good. That was some. That I think was that works. As- works much better on a podcast than it does in the written word. I think. Ooh, all right. So I mean, I don't. I don't have a huge disagreement on Brett Underwood. I just think, you know, the, I thought you know the two years of rebuilding completely justified because again, where they were and he, where he's got him back to, I think he's got a little tiny bit more to prove, maybe compared to some other people, but totally get it. Steven, what are you, who are you taking seventh? I'm going to reach here. At least I think it's a reach. We'll see by your reaction. If it's actually a reach or not. Um, we have talked at length about the idea of what if this guy went somewhere where they valued football more, you know, would it be a little bit more consistent? And just because where he's at right now, he's doing more with less. And that's Pat Fitzgerald. He's been the two big 10 championship games um, in the past four years here. He was beating Ohio state for most of the game. Then the second one he got to he's consistent. It's basically at this point, every other year, he's got a team who can win the big 10 West is how he's operating there. So what if he went somewhere where he had the necessary recruiting resources, just overall resources where he didn't have to do it like that. It could just be a consistent thing. Not a reach in my book. I had him sixth on my list. I had him second among football guys. He's the fourth longest tenured coach in the two sports combined. He's been at Northwestern for 16 years. Northwestern should be awful. Northwestern should be the 13th or 14th best football program in the Big Ten, and they're not. They're competitive, and I always – I mean, we've had enough discussions about fits. I always have him high on football stuff, so I, I completely get this. This is right in the zone where I had him. Nathan, what do you think? I wanted to put him higher than I ended up putting him, and I, the, what's given me pause is the fluctuations these last couple of years – where he can't just go from like contending or winning the West to like still getting to a bowl game. It's like contending or winning the West. And then like, you can't beat other big 10 teams. And now you've, you're winning three games. And I, I probably have him a little too low on my list. I don't know if I even have him. I have him like right in the middle of the pack on football coaches, like seventh, eighth. And that's probably too low. But at some point, I think when your height, I know it's Northwestern. I understand. But still, when your height is getting to a Big Ten championship game and losing, and then there's other years where you're just not competitive at all. I don't know if that's the I don't know if that shows me that he has that thing that would push even a really a good team that you handed him to a national championship level. Yeah, I get it. Um, I will say I, I don't think there's a ton of difference. And people know I'm a Northwestern grad, so but I don't follow the sports. I don't know anybody on the teams. I don't, you know, whatever. But 
I don't think there's a ton of difference between the expectation level for Northwestern football and Northwestern basketball. I don't think there's anything inherent that Northwestern football should be better than basketball. When I was there 25 years ago, they were terrible at both. And then basketball got like a little bit good and made it NIT and everybody went crazy. And then Gary Barnett made the Rose Bowl and whatever. Chris Collins, Northwestern made its first NCAA tournament ever in the Mm -hmm. 2017 season with Chris Collins. Northwestern's basketball, their record since then, 15 and 17, 13 and 19, 8 and 22, 9 and 15, 15 and 15. So, like, if you think, like, well, hey, Fitz has a good year and a bad year and a good year and a bad year. Chris Collins had, like, one good year and eight bad years. And so, like, two good years and seven bad years. And that, I actually think, is more normal for Northwestern. So, Chris Collins' lack of success, I don't think, means he's a terrible coach. But it boosts Fitz's case a little bit, in my opinion. Heard, but also I wasn't expecting Chris Collins' name to come up certainly again the rest of this draft no for I, reasons so i also no. i also expect that but also like no nobody really wins they had the guy before him who ran like the princeton offense and everything was back to sure. cuts it was like cool maybe let's pretend that northwestern's in the ivy league play like brown maybe that'll work it's like well that's it's the big 10 man that's not that cool all right i get it i think that's a really good pick uh, uh fits at seven this is i think this guy a month ago is top five in this draft no question about it and I was curious to see where he'd go. I still had him fifth on my list, and I don't know if that's too high, but I'll take Juwan Howard. And I think I would take Juwan Howard ahead of Jim Harbaugh. But how much do you knock him down because he swatted an assistant coach's head in a scrum? Uh, like some, but recruiting, they made the Elite Eight last year. Like energy around the program, he's a freaking Fab Five dude. Like I there's, he brings a lot to the table and I think he, I think, you know, like other than that fight thing. And he had a little disagreement with Mark Turgeon. Like I think day in and day out, he's like a great representative of Michigan athletics. And apparently he maybe just has a little bit of a temper or whatever, which is whatever. So like I'm conflicted about this. If, If somebody wants to argue, this is crazy. He just got suspended for the end of the regular season. How can you have him fifth? I hear it. But I think if you take that away, I think he's, I would think he's top five, like without much discussion. So Steven, what do you think of this pick? So you know how there's like a legitimate chance that if Jamison Williams didn't tear his ACL in a playoff game, he was probably no brainer. The first wide receiver taken off the board, the top 10 pick, but he tore his no, ACL. Well, so I disagree with that. Out of it. I mean, I know. We, I, I mean, we, of I mean, course, if, but like that was a we're thing gonna start, for a while. I mean, I actually completely disagree with that premise. So if that, if your point is, how do you take something away that happened? I wouldn't start with that premise, but anyway, that's a, you can have that opinion, but go ahead with the analogy. It was, it was definitely a thing for a while, whether we agree with it or not, that was definitely a conversation and talking point at one point because of what he is because of that speed that he has. If you, if with Juwan Howard, his thing is he fights coaches. He's a, he's a good coach. He's a great recruiter. There's a lot of energy around the program. None of that went away. He just fights coaches. And so it's like, are you willing to no, put up with the fact that he so, might? So fight are you? Where's he on your list, Steven? He was he was six for me, but like I would pass Fitzgerald over him because he fight Pat Fitzgerald doesn't fight coaches. And Jim, I mean, and Jawan Howard does. And I can't have my co- I don't want my players fighting co- players, let alone my coaches fighting coaches. 
I mean, let's let's not forget that this incident, the the slap fight with Wisconsin, was not his first run in. Like there was yeah. a thing with Maryland a couple years ago. Like yeah. I, I, oh, definitely I was dinged him. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> dinged him for this because it's a recurring thing for him. He is. Um, I would say his career has been as much distraction as it has been success at this point. His coaching career, um, for and 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 avoidable distractions. Uh, I, I obviously was. Uh, as we talked about on the pod, I was like less sympathetic to his, any of his arguments about why that whole thing happened with Wisconsin. So yeah, I, I, there's another coach that I, I only had one other basketball coach ahead of him though. And it's actually going to be an interesting talking point when it, when we get to this coach, because I think he probably will eventually get drafted. Okay. Howard eighth, Nathan pick nine to you and then pick 10. So uh, speaking of reaches, <laughs> this one, I don't think it's that much of a reach if we look at it in context. I'm hesitant, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can make the argument against it. But I'm going to take Brett Bielema here. The argument against it is that his peak at Wisconsin came when Ohio State had sort of abdicated its place at the top of the Big Ten. Right? So... Yeah. Unlike Jim Harbaugh, who last year went straight through Ohio State to get to the playoff, it, it, Brett Bielema didn't have to do that in the same way. But I also think, again, we're running low on the list of guys who have built a program or or and, and he I know he took over for Barry Alvarez and that there was already success started there, but who has sustained like in football, like an 11 win pace for a, a couple of years, like before I can really talk about your chances of winning a national championship, I need to see you do something like that. And I feel like the fact that he has done it is what maybe separates him from a couple other guys who I considered here, but have really not even reached that same level where people looked at them nationally the way that I think Wisconsin was looked at for that window. So I think this is somewhat of a reach. I don't think it's a Ridiculous reach. I had BLM a 13th on my list. You're picking him ninth. The one thing about him is he also failed at Arkansas, which you have to factor in five years at Arkansas, 29 and 34 overall, 11 and 29 in the SEC, which I mean, losing record in the SEC, we get it. It's hard to beat Alabama, but like that was not great. That actually was pretty terrible. And I do think there are some other guys in the big time of the football coaches who have had good success, maybe not as long, but who haven't had the same kind of failure as Brett Bielema. So I loved the Bielema hire for Illinois. I think he's going to win a Big Ten West title in the next three years. So I'm mostly with you here, Nathan, but there's still a football coach, a couple of football coaches that would have put ahead of him. Steven, what do you think of Bielema here at nine? I get the reach. I just don't know if. At this, especially when you're picking right here, I don't know if this is the coach you reach for. I think there's an argument for a different football coach you make the reach on who has maybe a little bit less. It's maybe even more of a reach because he has even less of a resume right now. But I understand that he was 11th for me. So it's not like you're far off from me. Okay, well, I think I might be about to take that guy. Then go ahead. Pick yeah. 10. I'm, go ahead, I'm going pick. now. I don't want to because I'm going really football heavy here. And I didn't mean to. Um, although I think there are. I think the football proving football coaches depth is greater than basketball. Really? I actually disagree with that. I think, I mm-hmm. think the, the opposite of that, but really? go ahead. I, I think, think we well, can have that discussion. We can yeah, have, a discussion. We'll have that. We'll have discussion. Cause I'm talking about when you get down to like 10, 11, 12, 13, who do you still like as a coach? 
on the football side versus the basketball side. But um, I, if we need someone who can do something in a short amount of time and hit a big home run in there, I mean, Mel Tucker just sort of did it last year. Yep. Took a team that was not doing anything, a program that wasn't doing anything, and yeah, he had to use the transfer market, but that's part of the game today, folks. And they were a top ten team and were in position to, you know, um, maybe make a playoff run uh, late into this season. And I know he had help by going and getting a guy who won the, uh, was a Heisman Trophy contender for a long time, but he still went and got that guy. So I'll take Mel Tucker here as as a guy who I know it's a small resume as a head coach, but it's a long resume as a coach. And there's been success at, at different stages through there. He's had a lot of different experiences. And like I said, if, if, if I need someone in the modern game who could turn something around overnight, he's got that uh, line on his resume now. Literally. And what I'm not think- dinging a guy. For, yeah, this is exactly who I was talking about. I'm not dinging a guy for using the transfer portal when that's the program he's at. And it's probably a good idea for him to go raiding the transfer portal every single year. Like if he if he if I was the AD at Michigan State and Mel Tucker came to me and said, you know, I just built this 2021 roster. I'm going to do that pretty much every other year. I'd be like, OK, cool. You put a top 10 roster together. Cool. Go do it again. I have no problem with it. I had Tucker seventh on my list. I had him third among football coaches behind Day and Fitzgerald. So uh, I think it's hard to argue against Mel Tucker. She said the resume is not as long as because it took him too long to get a chance to be a head coach, but he's a legit dude. He's been in the NFL. He's been at the highest levels of college football. And uh, I think he's going to keep being a good coach at Michigan state. I think this is a good pick. All right. I'm going to pick 11th and I'm going to pick a guy who, if you said make a list of the coaches most likely to swat an opposing assistant coach in the side of the head <laughs> after a game, I think this guy would be number one on the list of the 28 coaches combined so kudos to him for not doing that. And it's Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. So, so I had he, Howard one spot behind McCaffrey. And really the differentiation there is McCaffrey explodes every night in a hysterical way. Uh, but there's never really any repercussions for it. Like he gets some texts and he looks ridiculous. And if you're not winning all the time, then it looks even worse. But that's where it kind of ends. You just it, it's like bad optics, whereas John Howard is getting suspended for like a third of a season. So right. I'll, I'll take the guy who just looks bad. Fran McCaffrey is the little chihuahua who just like always barking at you while Joan Howard's the pit bull who will bite you if you keep messing with it. But remember, I remember uh remember when he did this thing, he was yelling at the refs at Ohio State and he got yes, suspended yes. for that oh, a couple no. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's so what <laughs> He was so mad. That was the game Justin Orange showed us he could shoot, and then he never shot the ball again. But we're walking to go do media, and where the little you – know, you know where the hallway is yeah. leading to the locker rooms. He is overbearing over this, like, five foot seven ref, chewing him out. And, it, and I'm like, that's like my introduction to Fran McCaffrey because that's the first time I'd ever covered an Iowa basketball game because, it, you know, I'd just gotten on the beat that year. And it's like, wow. He's not going to get suspended either. They're going to let him do that every single night. And here we are four years later. He's still chewing out refs in the locker room. That's called doing it Philly style. He uh, he's from Philly. His I worked in the Philadelphia area for eight years. His brother is a sports columnist for one of the suburban papers in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I know his brother. It's like, hey, it's Fran. 
So Fran obviously rose to prominence when Sienna beat Ohio State in the NCAA tournament in the first round, and then he kind of got the Iowa job off of that. I, I'm a little – he's like – it's. I'm not from Philly, as Landis would tell you. I'm from two hours outside Philadelphia, but my wife is from Iowa. But I'm enough of an East Coast jerk, as people listening to the podcast might know. My wife is enough of a – you know, Midwestern Iowan kind of personality that like Fran McCaffrey getting hired at Iowa is like, I don't know about this man. And he's been there for 12 years. And when he got there, Iowa had not won an NCAA tournament game for nine years. They missed the tournament his um, first three years. And now they're like a consistent tournament team. This will be this. He's been there 12 years. This will be, his sixth tournament, it should have been seventh because they would have made the COVID year. So they're a consistent winner. They also lost in the second round last year as a two. They're a five seed this year. They just won the NCAA tournament. He's on a little bit of an upswing, right? To be a two seed last year, win the Big Ten tournament this year, be a five seed. In year 12, we're sort of seeing peak Fran McCaffrey. He's got those twins. He's got his son, right? They have a really good team. So this is maybe as high as Fran McCaffrey would get on this list to pick him 11th. This is pretty good for him, but he's like a consistent winning coach for a program that obviously, you know, Dr. Tom Davis, they were good for a long time, but Steve Alford went there and wasn't good. Todd Licklider stunk and like, he's got him back. Iowa does not have, there's no birthright for Iowa basketball to be an NCAA tournament team. And he's made them a regular tournament team. So I think that's pretty legit. And I feel good taking him here. At number 11, he was eighth on my list. Steven picks 12 and 13 to you. Can I just say real quick, for, for yeah. Ohio State fans complaining about uh, Chris Holtman not winning in March, do you know when the last time Iowa played on the second weekend of the NCAA tournament was? I do not. It wasn't in a McCaffrey era, if I'm correct. 1999. Yep. Tom Davis's really? last year, they lost in the regional semis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's a problem. And it's one of those things, again, I mean, we've had these kind of discussions. Who should be better at basketball, Iowa or Ohio State? Probably Ohio State, I guess, right? I mean, like, neither neither has, like, the kind of history of Indiana basketball or Michigan State or whatever, but I guess Ohio State should be better. And, like, who's better right now? I, I, I guess pretty close. Who's better right now, Stephen? Who's the better basketball program? right now and yes iowa just won the big 10 tournament but that's not the only thing that matters who's a better program i just said that even if iowa didn't win the big 10 tournament iowa i mean they they, they came to columbus and wiped forward ohio state this year there now you can make the argument that ohio state's ceiling as a program is higher just because of what they have coming in next year but right now Iowa's the better program last three years in big 10 play Ohio State, 11 and 9, 12 and 8, 12 and 8. Iowa, 11 and 9, 14, 6, 12 and 8. They're very, very similar. They really are. But I, Ohio State probably should be a little bit better. So Fran McCaffrey's higher on our list than Chris Holtman. So I, you know, I'm not particularly conflicted about that. So here we are, Stephen, you're up. I feel like we've hit the point where it's a lot of coaches left where like the shine, the initial shine has worn, has worn off a little bit. You know, they they because they've been around for a little bit and they haven't quite done what you thought they were going to do or become what you thought they would be. Um, and there's like three or four coaches, both basketball and football, who fit this. So I'm going to take the one who I believe in future. I'm going to take Holtman here. 
I'm not this all is, the way excited about it, but I'm going to take him here. So this is pick 12, and it's Chris Holtman. He was 12th on my list. Nathan, where was Chris Holtman on your list? He was eighth among basketball coaches. I had not done – I just – I had the, the football and basketball separate. I had not done a, a big list of them all together. I was kind of going to decide that more on feel as we, as we went. But so, so not in the top half of basketball coaches on my list. You had him eighth among basketball coaches. I had him seventh among basketball coaches. Steven, where did you have Holtman among basketball coaches? I'm eighth as well among basketball coaches. Okay. So there's one guy I would definitely still take ahead of Holtman here, but this is definitely the right range. Why are you picking him? The recruiting is good. It is very good. And there is, even if the door seems to close a little bit more every year, it is still open for the idea of it finally pops because of the talent he has accumulated because of what we saw with EJ and Malachi this year. I mean, he might have two first round NBA draft picks this year. That has to matter. And even if he doesn't, then fine, he'll have one this year and then he'll have a top 10 pick next year, along with a recruiting class that's top 10 in the country. That's got to mean something. And the guys I'm comparing him to, I think the shine has worn off a little bit less, even if fans are annoyed with what's going on right now. But the thing, and we had this conversation a lot on the Monday basketball podcast, Stephen, that you and I did. What is the peak of Holtman? The consistency Mm -hmm. is the benchmark, is the hallmark. What's the peak? I think one of the guys that you're talking about of the shine wearing off is a guy like James Franklin, who was the only guy I would definitely take ahead of Chris Holtman. James Franklin has peaks. James Franklin's peak, they made New Year's six games three out of four years. They lost a Rose Bowl. They won a Fiesta Bowl. They won a Cotton Bowl. That's like making the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, right? They didn't win a national title, but it's like you're trying to compare things. It's not a national title standard for everybody. Penn State had a four-year run where Penn State finished 7th, 8th, 17th, and ninth four straight years. Those were the final AP. They finished as a top-10 team three out of four years. Holtman has done that. Now, Penn State had a terrible year two years ago and had a very average year last year, an underachieving, barely over 500 with as good as their defense was, they should have been better. Right. But what we ding Holtman for is he doesn't have a year. Like when Penn state finished fifth in the country and should have made the playoff and went to the Rose bowl and played an awesome game against Sam Darnold and gave Penn State fans a season to remember, right? Upset Ohio State in that season and had a, oh, I'll never forget. There's not one of those for Holtman. So this is a great debate of, now I know they beat Duke. I know they won at Illinois. This is a great debate of consistency, more consistent for Holtman. Now, maybe because he hasn't been here long enough to have a little bit of drop off, but also I think he is going to be consistent. But will he have the peaks? And then what do you value? So I think Franklin versus Holtman, even though it's cross sports, is a very interesting comparison here. Nathan, who did you have higher? I know you didn't. Who would you have picked? I know you didn't have it this way, but who would you pick, Nathan, Franklin or Holtman? I would have taken Franklin. For what it's worth, Franklin is my next pick. Okay. Okay. So you'll take James Franklin here at 13. Yes, that was how I wasn't sure which order I wanted to put it in, um, but I just went with this order because – it feels like the peak, yes, I, I, you have to acknowledge that. But it's like at, when he was in the peak, you're going, he was one of those coaches where it's like, what if he gets out of blue blood? You know, what if USC picks him up? 
or, you know, for, what if he gets to one of those boobas? Imagine what he does there. I don't think that's the conversation around Franklin anymore. And the problem with that is because he signed an extension with Penn State, so he's going to be there for a while. But I don't necessarily put him in that same category the same way you would have after the 2016, the 2017 season. You probably would have viewed him differently. While now it's like, oh, maybe he's not that coach. He's just a coach who's good enough to, you know, compete with some of the blue buds, even if he doesn't always beat them. Well, I think another reason, though, is that, you know, Franklin, I don't if Penn State's not a blue blood, it's at least like purple, right? Like Penn State is a major national program in the history of college football. Like, and if it seems like he is only taking that to a certain level, that's why the drop off is, has happened too. That that I don't think I, I understand why USC would maybe be have a higher ceiling year after year than Penn State does, but Penn State has a higher ceiling than what it's hitting right now. So I think, again, the, the point is we're trying to put Chris Holtman in context. And if he is the 12th best coach combined of the 28, if he is seventh or eighth among basketball coaches, Stephen, is that good enough? He's not terrible. He's not the bottom. And listen, it's like, oh, he's seventh or eighth among basketball coaches. Well, he's got Tom Izzo and Matt Painter with him, yeah. right? And it's like Greg, you know, um, what's his name? Bob Underwood. What's his name? Chad Underwood. Brad. 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 Oh, Brad Underwood. Bob? I didn't know who Brad, you were talking about. Chad. He's got Brad Underwood and Fran McCaffrey ahead of him. They're both, they're both on a little bit of an upswing right now. I mean, like in a year, Chris Holtman makes the elite eight. Chris Holtman might be ahead of Fran McCaffrey and Brad Underwood next time we do this. Right. So listen, I, I get it. It's Ohio state does not, should not have the best basketball coach in the big 10. That is not the demand. That is not the standard the same way it is in football, but seventh or eighth among basketball coaches, Steven, is that good enough? Yeah, it's fine because of the context of who the six or seven who are ahead of them are. And it's a, they're seventh with a sliding scale of, he can go anywhere from fourth to eighth, depending on the year we're talking about. But what I would say is when Chris Holtman came into the league, the guys ahead of him included Bo Ryan, John Beeline. Yeah. Uh, Izzo, Painter. I mean, Izzo and Painter is still here. I'm just thinking about guys who aren't here anymore. Like Tom I mean, that's, Crane, that's, the best of Tom Crane. Was that still hanging yeah, on there? At Indiana. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that, that, I, I wouldn't put him in that. I'm, I'm talking about you're taking like two, like, all-time Big Ten basketball coaches out of the mix now. So I feel like Holtman probably should have risen up the list more than he has since then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, Ohio State doesn't have to have the best basketball coach in the Big Ten. Should they have one of the top five? Yeah, they should. They should. This is a good enough job to have that. And so, like you said, but like Steven said, on the right day, after the right win, at the right point in the season, he might be fifth. But he's not locked in. He's not a sure thing, top five. Right. And if they had more tournament success, if they were coming off an elite eight last year as a two seed, instead of coming off a first round loss, he probably would be in the top five. So this is, I, I think, I think we're being fair here. And I think the consistency matters, but I think the lack of peak is the thing that we go back to. Okay. That's what we wanted. That was the main point of this was to get Ryan day and Chris Holtman in context That's 13 picks. We have eight more to do. We'll finish this up next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, 614-350-3315. How do you say the Rutgers coach last name? Peichel or Pickle? Peichel. Peichel. He's my pick. Peichel's my pick. Peichel's my pike. Pickle's my pick. 
Uh, Rutgers stinks. And he's made them like moderately successful. So they like never go to the NCAA tournament. They hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since 1991. And now they've made it each of the last two years. It's like a miracle. It's the miracle in Piscataway. So again, I think there he's been there a little while. He's been there three, four, five, six years. They, I think, are locking him up with the contract extension. I think there's a little Greg Schiano in him. It feels like he's the right guy in the right place. Again, you think about Shiano at a peak. I mean, I, who's the better Rutgers coach right now? I mean, Shiano's trying to get it back together, but this guy won at Stony Brook, made an NCAA tournament at Stony Brook, and now has come to Rutgers 15 and 18, 15 and 19, 14 and 17 his first three years. And then they would have made the tournament the COVID year too. So this would be their third straight tournament, 20 and 11, 16 and 12, 18 and 13. Nathan, three straight tournaments at Rutgers. What are we doing here? I, I feel like this is a good spot for Steve Peichel. I had him one spot ahead of Holtman. I actually had him much higher when I first like, a lot of times when I do these lists, I kind of just go off of first thought and then I kind of go back and compare some guys. And when I looked farther into the record, I started to think like, well, it started to remind me a little bit of like 10 miles at Nebraska where mm. you hit a peak. And, and I actually like 10 miles a lot. I especially liked him as a reporter in the Big Ten because he would be like the last guy on the Big Ten teleconference every week and you would hang on for those whole two hours just to hear what kind of weird stuff he would say and he'd always give you good stuff for like whatever enterprise uh, trendy story you're working on. And But like it's still like this year the big breakthrough is like you know getting to another NCAA tournament and being a top four seed in the Big Ten tournament. But like that's still a pretty low bar. So what he's kind of, I guess in a Pat Fitzgerald almost argument to me, except Fitzgerald's done it much longer and reached much more heights. But I I saw some comparisons there where it's like, there are probably some things institutionally that that hold you back and you're, you're breaking through them to some extent. And I want to respect that. So that's why I put him a little bit ahead of Holtman who seems to have all the institutional advantages or a lot of them and maybe isn't living up to them. And I'll take the guy who's being held back just a little bit or is just getting it started. But the more I looked at it, I, I started arguing with myself that maybe he should be behind Holtman. I wish Mike Woodson wasn't at Indiana because I think the Indiana expectation is not allowing him to be viewed as the Mel Tucker version for the basketball side of things. Because Indiana had a pretty quality year. Tracy Jackson Davis is one of the best players in the Big Ten. And Woodson's a former NBA coach who coached Carmelo Anthony, for crying out loud. And his recruiting class has a five-star and another top 100 recruit. I might have taken Woodson over Pico. So Rutgers, before this three straight years of tournaments, had not even had a 500 record for 13 straight years. They're awful. Mm-hmm. And the now worst they're competitive. Yeah. The worst thing I've ever done, worst, I think, experience I've had covering Big Ten athletics was when I used to have to go. They would Purdue would play Rutgers at like nine o'clock on a Wednesday night at Rutgers. So you're flying to New Jersey. This is before I used to go watch Broadway plays with you, Doug. This is how you would just go out and you would just sit at an IHOP in New Jersey and you'd go cover this game. It's in a glorified high school arena. There's nobody there. 
nobody. The big, the most important thing that happened the whole time I was covering Purdue at Rutgers was one time Sergeant Slaughter was signing autographs on the concourse before game. Do you remember the wrestler Sergeant Slaughter? What are you before talking your time, about, Stephen? When Sergeant Slaughter, when Bob Backlund was doing the steps on the side of the ring, Bob Backlund is trying to set the Guinness Book of World Record for like walking up steps and walking down steps. And Sergeant Slaughter came over and started beating him with that military whipping stick. Mm -hmm. That was like a scarring moment of my childhood. Bob Backlund was like just a guy who just wore tights. He had no shtick at all. And eight-year-old little Dougie loved shtickless Bob Backlund. And then this guy with military sunglasses dressed in camo came over and started beating him up for no reason. And it ushered in the era of wrestling shtick. Not that there hadn't been before, but then Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik, and we were off and running. Nikolai Volkov and Bob Backlund was done. And little Dougie appreciated a guy with no shtick and Sergeant Slaughter. But when I went and interviewed James Laurinaitis and James Laurinaitis' family, Mm-hmm. His father, obviously the wrestler, Sergeant Slaughter, like took James Laurinaitis' father like under his wing when he was starting off as a wrestler and like made sure he like had dinner and stuff. So Sergeant Slaughter, great dude in real life, scarred little Dougie with his act. Okay, sorry. I would have gotten his autograph and then I would have asked him, why did you do that to Bob Backley? <laughs> sorry. You should have been there. All I had, all I did was like take a picture of him and put out a mocking tweet or something like that so you're there's a shock there's a shock (laughs) he's sergeant slaughter i think he's used to it um anyway i mean new jersey is just like it's just like a giant mall and you feel like sergeant slaughter is just always signing autographs at some (laughs) mall i feel like maybe he was probably supposed to have been signing autographs at some mall that night and just stumbled into the rack and was like somebody found him a folding chair and a, a, a cardboard table and there you go all right, so that was our analysis for Rutgers basketball coach, Steve Peichel. Thanks for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. All right, Nathan. And also, a bunch of names I've never heard before. Yeah, you don't need to know them. You don't no. need to know them. No. Uh, picks 15 and 16 for you, Nathan. I've got to take a basketball coach at some point. This is just going to get weird. And this is really the last one that I would even think about taking, probably, uh, not to give away draft strategy. So I'll take Mike Woodson here. It's only been the one year at Indiana, but, uh, you know, give him some credit for taking what had been really the Nebraska football of Big Ten basketball and putting them back in the tournament. Like, that's not nothing. It's a tough place to coach, man. Like, it's – I think Assembly Hall is an incredibly overrated venue – um, and I, I think that mostly, especially because I'm a media person who they like stick up like one vertical mile from the playing floor, but in a lot of ways, it's not a place that I think is, um, all that great of a, a venue, especially if you're trying to like recruit there in a modern way. And the fan expectations are insane and they're not as nice about it as people in Nebraska are about football. So it's, it's a tough thing to crack to like get that going back in the right direction and they had to sneak in. They're not real happy right now being an 11 seed. They have to go play in Dayton. And if they win, has to be in like San Diego the next day. But, you know, them's the breaks. At least you're in. And now that's something that they can build on. It's a place that you should be able to recruit at a, a high national level. There is, other than, again, that, that arena. I think the resources are there in, in other ways. And his background, I think he's a guy that can relate to the kind of athlete that would then push – 
you know, that kind of that NBA bound athlete that Indiana has actually gotten those guys and the previous couple coaches just weren't converting that into enough wins. And I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he can do it. So they were 16 and five and then lost seven of their last nine. Yeah. And the regular season. And, you know, I'm not particularly following this closely, but I, I follow Greg Doyle, the great Indy star sports columnist on Twitter. And, you know, you, you read about Indiana basketball the last six weeks of the regular season. And it was like, this program is falling apart. What is Mike Woodson doing? And then Michigan blows a 17 point lead in the first round of the big 10 tournament. And Indiana is off and running and they get, you know, a couple nice wins in the big 10 tournament. And all of a sudden they're kind of everybody's darling because they beat Michigan and Illinois is kind of Stephen the opposite of sort of like that. I mean, they were similar to Ohio state, both those teams sort of collapsed down the stretch, but then Indiana got a little juice back in the tournament. I didn't have Woodson in my top 20, mostly because a it's first year coach. I don't know. And B like I know Archie Miller kind of left a mess, but I was having a hard time figuring out how good this Indiana season actually was when they go two and seven down the stretch. You definitely had him on your list though, Steven. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I, like I said, I, if he was doing this at not Indiana, then I think we would appreciate it more. Oh, you're right. They, I mean, they lost like five straight games in a row. One of which was the Ohio state loss um, in overtime where it looked like they were going to come back and win that game. And then they like Ohio state run away with it in overtime. They're, just like what Ohio State was a year ago, where they closed out the season in a terrible way, but then they got some juice back in the Big Ten tournament, lost in the Big Ten tournament, uh, Big Ten championship game, I believe. No, sorry, the, the semifinal. But I think the only difference is Ohio State still held on to that two seed, so they still, you know, were coming in pretty high regarded to that tournament last year. As Nathan just pointed out, Indiana's not coming in with any of that juice, and so they do kind of have an underdog mentality. But the pick with Mike Woodson is simply for – what he might be able to do down in the future because, you know, you know, Archie left that place a mess and he seems to be cleaning it up pretty quickly here, even if they did have that bad stretch in February. Also, yeah, I mean, the reason that Indiana, uh, go ahead. just real quick, the reason Indiana is in the play-in game is not because of who they didn't beat. It's because of who they beat. They, the one thing that hasn't changed there as they've changed coaches is they still play just a reprehensible non-conference schedule. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's an embarrassment across college sports. I don't know how the fan base has let them get away with it for this long, but if they ever started treating their non-conference schedule the way Ohio State football did, it would help them. The point that you're making a hire for the future and Mike Woodson has a long NBA resume that will aid him in building a program is a very worthy point. Steve Peichel, you know, who should be better at basketball? No matter what Archie Miller did to your program, who should be better at basketball, Indiana or Rutgers? Indiana yeah, should Indiana. be. And Rutgers finished significantly ahead of Indiana in the Big Ten standings this year and also got a better NCAA tournament spot than them. So that's why I had Pikel ahead of Woodson. But if you're projecting, Woodson has a chance to get something done at this level. And I think I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying about him. All right, Nathan, pick 16 to you. Um. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll take Kirk Ferentz here. Ugh. Well, I mean, who? But who else has been like championship oh, oh, adjacent in this conference? And um, again, he, that's what you call that Big Ten championship game. Then okay, they were well, there. 
Yeah, I'm not talking about just this season, though. I'm talking about, uh, you know, it, it, it's not as if Iowa has not had other peaks that have, have put it in the conversation during his tenure. So and the other guy, there's some other guys that are like right behind him on my list, who I think are are decent coaches. But um, I I don't I kind of look at Iowa the way you were talking about Iowa basketball, Doug. It's like there's not a birthright there that says that they deserve to be one of the, you know, 15 best programs in the country for sure. But a lot of years they are like 15, 20. And that, that matters for something at this stage of the draft. So I'll take Kirk Ferentz. He was not on my list. He is second in longest tenured, uh, 23 years, Iowa football only behind Izzo. And then I also did. No, he didn't make that. 618 winning percentage. I ranked everybody by the best winning percentages of all these coaches. 618 winning percentage. I just don't want him going forward for like modern sports with the, the issues that Iowa's had. And he is what that's he fair. is. Doesn't doesn't get me fired yeah. up. Did, was he in your top 20, Stephen? No. And that's okay. exactly why. I don't know if like if we were having a press conference and I was introducing, you know, Kirk Ferentz as the new football coach, I don't know how many people would be excited about that hire. So I will go next, and I'm between two guys here. They're both football coaches. I we've almost I think like we've almost run out of basketball coaches. I had my basketball coaches. Let's do this conversation now before we get to these last boring picks. I had basketball coaches for my top five. I had basketball coaches eight of my top twelve. I I just think again maybe because Izzo stands alone as a hall of famer but there's not a dominant program the way Ohio State's a dominant program there's a little more room for somebody to pop up and have success I think it might be a little more difficult for a a Brad Underwood or a Fran McCaffrey or Greg Gard to pop up and really succeed at this level if they were butting their heads against Ohio State football all the time so to me maybe that aids the perception of a greater depth in the basketball recruiting pool, but we're Steven and I think more basketball coaching talent. Nathan, you said more football, Steven, why do you think there's kind of more options with the basketball guys? I think it takes less time one to build a successful program because you're always one really good transfer, one really good recruit away from just that's how basketball works. One guy can basically change your entire you know trajectory as a program and as a team for a certain season. While it's it is more of a deeper like it, I mean the Big Ten got nine teams in the tournament this year and that's a lot more likely than being able to say that the Big Ten has six teams who could legitimately make a playoff and any given even if you take Ohio State out of the fa- factor you're still only adding two or three teams to that mix and so just because of how the sports work it's a lot easier for me to be sold on the idea that you know. Mike Woodson's going to turn Indiana back into a national championship contender than it is for me to believe that, you know, Scott Frost was ever going to turn Nebraska back into a, a playoff contender. Well, yeah, so, but that's, but Mike Woodson's going to get drafted a whole lot higher on our list than Scott Frost will. That's kind of what I was saying before with the football depth that I think you can go like 13 deep, at least on football of guys who, if you had to take them in this draft, it wouldn't like, uh, you wouldn't cry about it. And I think, and I don't know who else to take on the basketball list at this point. Maybe one guy. Well, part of that is I think of the basketball list, as we said, there are four guys who just finished their first year. Like if Mark Turgeon was still around at a high level, he'd be getting picked. Maryland yeah. just happens to be in transition. 
Penn State's just not that good at basketball, but I think Mike mm-hmm. Shrewsbury is actually like a really interesting coach and he might get, I might pick him still. Um, and then again, we said Ben Johnson and then we did take Mike Woodson and then it's like Hoiberg stinks in basketball and Chris Collins is like, I don't So, but I think like the guys above that, I think like the first eight in basketball are like really kind of pretty good where I think you get to, I, I think it's possible that in their careers, and maybe this is more about the programs in the state of the Big Ten than it is the coaches. I think it's possible. Tom Izzo already has a national championship. And again, I had four of my top five are basketball guys. I think it's possible Matt Painter, Greg Gard, and Juwan Howard all do win national championships in their careers. I, I think that's with football, quite, even though like it's day. been two decades for the yeah. Big Ten, where, where it's harder to see, but maybe that's just a function of the way Ohio state football dominates and the way this way, the sports operate, Nathan, maybe it's more of a function than that and less of a function of the quality of the coaching. It it is part of it because like, how will an expanded playoff change the way we have these discussions in the future? Cause right now we'll talk about someone like uh, Matt Painter getting to a sweet 16 and how that's like a a big deal because in the, and, and it helps his resume if you do it enough, because in basketball, you're playing for one of like sometimes eight, nine spots for your league to get in. And in football, you're playing for one. Like there's really only ever one playoff spot available to the big 10 and not even necessarily a guarantee that that would be there. So that skews things a lot. I think if we were talking about, a, an expanded playoff format. And obviously they're not going all the way to 32 teams or whatever, but even just to 16, how much would it have helped? How much, if they had done that a decade ago, would we look at, would we talk about Kirk Ferentz or James Franklin or, or, you know, Brett Bielema when he was in his heyday, at Wisconsin, would we talk about them differently or in a more equal way than maybe we, than, than some of the basketball coaches that we elevate because they exist in that world. I can agree with that because it's, it's like, your peak doesn't seem as wasted if there's more opportunity because, you know, you're right. I mean, Brett Bielema, James Franklin, Kurt France all did have a peak. It's just their peak didn't take them anywhere because, as you just said, you're fighting for one spot. And for most of their careers, you were actually, especially when you're talking about Kurt Ferrett, you're fighting for two spots and you're definitely not getting that in the BCS era. So, yeah, that, that plays a role in it as well. But it is it's more just a function of how the sports work, too. There really isn't a, a correlate, a, um, an equal thing in basketball to what when James Franklin wins the big 10 beats Ohio state still doesn't get the playoff like that. Mm-hmm. The, the equating thing doesn't happen in, in basketball. That team still gets its chance to go out and, and play for its championship. Mel Tucker made the sweet 16 this year in year two at yep. Michigan state. Kind of. Yeah. But, but like, we don't think of it that, but like he did, right. They made it, they made a new year six game. They finished in the top 16, their sweet 16 team. But how do we judge that compared to, you know, again, how many times has Matt Painter done that in all these years? Mel Tucker's one for two, right? So, I mean, it's, I get it. it, it it's, it's difficult, but that's why it's interesting. Let's wrap this up. I'm going to pick 17th. I'm going to take PJ Fleck. I think his success at Minnesota to, they were, had the great 11 and two year. That's arguably the best Minnesota football, maybe not even arguably the best Minnesota football season, like in 60 years. Then they had a weird COVID year and then they went nine and four this year. So that guy, I think, is pretty real. He's um, 35 and 23 in five years at Minnesota. And I had him 15th on my list, and I'll take him 17th here. Is this a steal here for him? 
in draft terms, just because like, he pretty much proved that the, what happened in the COVID year was because COVID happened. Right. But also all those players came back. So, of course, he was going to be better. He had the 11 or 12, fifth, six year seniors. I was still just putting him behind guys who've had like multiple 10, 11 win seasons just because the mm-hmm. one year that they did it, you go back and look at their schedule. I Maybe I was too close to it by being a voter that year and everything, but it was kind of a it was kind of a fake good year. I know they beat Penn State at home, their home, but like still, I want to see another 10, 11, 12 game season before I uh, win season before I push him much higher on this list. Yeah. But I had him, I had him next behind Ferentz on my list. Nine and four, nine and four this year. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think this is, I think he deserves to be picked yes. in our 21 yes. person draft. So I think he deserves to be picked. Steven, you're up with pick 18. <laughs> I'm going to take Paul Chris and I'm not happy about it. Um, but I think he does deserve to be picked. You know, Wisconsin, he's kept the thing rolling at Wisconsin, multiple 10 win seasons, uh, multiple you know, trips to the Big Ten championship game. And obviously it has a ceiling because of the way they play often and they don't develop quarterbacks, but often that ceiling ends them up in Indianapolis. And so that has to count for something. And that last thing you just said is why I didn't have him higher on my list is because now they got the quarterback and we thought something was going to, Oh, this will be, it'll yep. be like, what if you gave Wisconsin a, a good quarterback? We, they just yep. did it. And then it was kind of, Oh, all right. Well, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I was between Fleck and Christ for my pick. I wonder if Paul Christ is like falling off a cliff. Paul Christ, his first three years taking over, after Gary Anderson's little blip following Brett Bielema, 10 and three, 11 and three, 13 and one. So his first three years, he only loses seven games combined. The last four years, the really disappointing eight and five year where people going into that season thought they were a playoff contender, eight and five, 10 and four, four and three in the COVID year, nine and four. So his first three seasons, he lost seven games combined. If you take the three full seasons and throw out the COVID year, the last three, that's 13 losses combined. I'm not so sure Paul Christ isn't losing it. And that maybe we are seeing the beginning of Wisconsin not as much being the Wisconsin. And how long are they going to settle for this? Because his first three seasons, they finished 21st, 9th, and 7th in the AP poll. The last four years, they finished in the top 25 once. So that's why I didn't take Paul Christ. I think he should be picked, but I also initially thought he should be higher on this list. And I do not think he should be any higher than this because I think he might be on the verge of blowing it there. Is that why Wisconsin went in there and got Carson Heisman when they never go to Wisconsin to get offensive linemen? Well, it might be why Jim Leonard isn't going anywhere Mm -hmm. because they have their next next coach sitting yeah. there. He's the defensive coordinator. Ryan Day called Jim Leonard. Where would you rather coach? Ohio State or Wisconsin? Why is he staying at Wisconsin? Because he might be the Wisconsin head coach in two years. You know Brand what they should probably... intrigues me this year, for sure, though. I think if he has Agreed. the type of year that Wisconsin running backs typically have, then I think you know, Chris can hold on to it a little bit longer, but that is intriguing to me. If, if Braylon Allen kind of has a slide back, it's Chris losing it a little bit that that I mean, this Wisconsin is running back university and that's going to be, you know, prime example of whether or not Chris can still hold on to that thing. If Braylon Allen can complete, 
you know, can you know replicate what he did last year as a linebacker turned into a running back. And they just hired Bobby Engram from the NFL as their new yeah. offensive coordinator, get a little new blood and little, little new ideas of doing things. Two years from now, they probably actually should have Jim Leonard be the head coach, Bobby Engram be the offensive coordinator, and Paul Chris could be the quarterback's coach and just do his thing because I just don't know long-term if he's the guy there. He's, he's Badger through and through, man. He was a quarterback there. He's Badger through and through. I, I just, they're just leaking. They're leaking. And how long do you leak when you should be better than this? So Paul Christ at 18, I think I had him 16th on my list. Steven, you picked him 18th. I think is this is the exact right range. And if anybody's like, how dare you, you know, because Paul grit, Paul Christ, I did the overall winning percentages of guys. And by winning percentage of all the coaches and basketball and football are different. Paul Chris has the second highest winning percentage of the 28 coaches. Ryan Day's first, Paul Chris is second. Tom Izzo's fourth. So Paul Chris has a higher winning percentage than Tom Izzo. Different sports doesn't mean Tom, but like we just picked the guy with the second highest winning percentage, mm-hmm. 18th. So that's probably some disrespect, but I feel like he's kind of earned that disrespect the past, past four seasons. Feels like the epitome of fake good to me. Where numbers don't lie, but they don't always tell the whole truth. But for my second pick, um, I'm picking this guy with the ramifications that I am building my school in New Jersey, and it's Greg Schiano. He was next on my list. I think the, the length of the resume, I think we all agreed, right, Nathan? We're all in the same range here on this guy. I had Schiano higher than Chris. I actually had him higher than Pat Fitzgerald. But I will say this, that was that was a mistake. Fitzgerald should have been higher than Shano on my list, because when you go back and look at at Shiano, in my mind, I had remembered the Rutgers peak as maybe being a little bit longer than it was the first time. The the, his first time at Rutgers, how many times do you have a top 25 finish? Once in this year, he won 11 games once the year that they they went 11 and two. They beat Texas in the bowl game. They finished 12th. Uh, which is incredible for Rutgers. And then the, for the next five years, they won eight or more games and mm-hmm. were, you know, a consistently a really, you know, top four team in the in the Big East. So, and we saw relative to what came after him, how amazing that is to do that at Rutgers. So all the credit in the world to him, but I did end up bumping him. I should have bumped him down below Fitzgerald because it really was just that one year that it really separated and became something special. So before we finish up our picks here, let me run through, because I did go through winning percentage for guys. And again, it's, it's very hard to compare across sports. Ryan Day is first in winning percentage. He got picked third in our draft. Paul Christ is second in winning percentage. He got picked 18th. Jim Harbaugh is third in winning percentage. He got picked fourth. Tom Izzo is fourth in winning percentage. He got picked first. Matt Painter is fifth in winning percentage. He got picked second. James Franklin is sixth in winning percentage. He got picked 13th. Chris Holtman is seventh in winning percentage. And then this is their winning percentages at their school, at their current school. He got picked 12th. Juwan Howard is eighth in winning percentage. He got picked fifth. Uh, Mel Tucker is ninth in winning percentage. He got picked 10th. And actually tied for ninth are Mel Tucker and Greg Gard. Greg Gard got picked fifth. So I had picked 20. This is my last pick. I'll take Jeff Brom. I just don't know who else to take. I feel like he's had a little couple ups, but not really that consistent. But we're kind of down um, to the bottom here just with some guys that 
I just have no interest in taking. So I'll take Brom and then Nathan, you can finish us up with pick 21, the last pick. And I'm going to take the most speculative pick. And it's the one you mentioned before. I'll take Micah Shrewsbury here. He's a guy who was a, he was a Purdue assistant when they were strong and then went to, um, he left there to go be Brad Stevens assistant with the Celtics came back to Purdue for a couple of years and then got the Penn state job. And, you know, a lot of guys, even when they're assistant coaches for programs uh, at, at like Purdue have to go somewhere small for that first head coaching job. You know, um, another guy, Steve Lutz, who was an assistant at Creighton. Creighton was really good and was at Purdue. He's at Texas A&M Corpus Christi now for his first job. I think, I think he took him to the dance in his first year. So, uh, but Shrewsbury gets to go straight to a big 10 program. I think that tells you something about where, how he is regarded. And I would imagine that he will have some success at Penn state and then Penn state will need a new coach pretty soon. They played a Ohio State tough all three games. Obviously, they won the third one in Indianapolis, but they played a tough every a lot of respect for him. Um, interesting things here. One school, no, two schools had neither of their coaches picked. Yep. Yeah. And yep. that's interesting because I think if we'd done this two years ago, Loxley would have easily gotten picked based off of, you know. The idea of what of, of the same concept of Shiano, it's like, oh, he's back at Maryland, back in the DMV area. And then Tom Allen probably gets picked two years ago, coming off that 2020 season. Yeah, I think you get some benefit of that out there. I mean, two schools had no coaches picked and neither of them were Rutgers. Like, yeah, explain that to somebody three years ago. Yeah, Mike Loxley. I, I, and I don't know, I, like we. It hasn't we clicked. Might, I, we might be underestimating Mike Loxley. He went seven yeah. and six this year. He's 13 and 23 overall. So like, but they're, that, they're moving up a little bit. I mean, but it hasn't clicked. last on my list. Yeah. I'm, I'm Manning, I, he's not the long-term option there. So you can't, you just can't pick him, but it was Loxley. But he was demonstrably like, bad at Wake Forest too. Like he's the one guy yeah. on like both of these things where like, he's had a long chance to be a head coach and was bad at it. That's true. And then like, it just hasn't clicked the way it hasn't. The recruiting hasn't necessarily picked up the way you thought it would pick up. I mean, Rakeem Jarrett's a great pickup there. Um, they had a five star the year after that as well, a linebacker. But it hasn't really taken off at Maryland the way that maybe we thought it would have when he first got, that, got hired for that job. So that combination, that's interesting to me. But the Tom Allen one's pretty interesting, too, just because, I mean, if we would have been doing this off of the 2020 season, he probably gets picked higher than he should have gotten picked just based off of what they did that year. Yeah. I had Brom higher than Allen by one spot only because I felt like Purdue's success this year was a little more real than Indiana's was last year. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So we picked 21, seven guys did not get picked in basketball. Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska, who's been terrible coach in the NBA has been awful in Nebraska. Um, Chris Collins at Northwestern. Ben Johnson at Minnesota in year one and Danny Manning, the interim coach at Maryland. Three football guys not picked. Mike Loxley at Maryland. Scott Frost at Nebraska, who's been terrible. And Tom Allen, who I just like to shine is off Tom Allen for me. Like I just like it was it feels like a one year wonder and that, you know, Michael Penix tipped the pylon with the ball. And if that didn't happen, who knows what that season would have been. And they just couldn't back it up at all this year. So I feel like that minor run at sports already, and that might not be fair. We'll see if Indiana football can get it back together. But Steven, as you said, nobody from Nebraska, nobody from Maryland 
Trev Alberts hired as the new uh, athletic director at Nebraska last July, has not been in the job a full year yet, I think has given like votes of confidence to Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost. He's going to tear that athletic department down to the studs and start over in like a year. It's a mess. Can you imagine being a Nebraska sports fan right now? Because Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost, like if we were doing reputation, Scott Frost won a fake national championship. Fred Hoiberg coached the Bulls. Right? When Hoiberg was good at um, where Iowa, Iowa State. State. Yeah. 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 These, these were like low-key home run hires when they were hired. And yeah. they have been anything but that. So that is it's that's a that's a tough road to hoe, man. I can't. It's it's amazing. Um, it's amazing how bad how bad they've been. That the Hoiberg is this bad. Seven and twenty-five, seven and twenty, ten and twenty-two. Like non-competitive, Stephen. Like awful, like the worst program in the Big Ten, nine and 50 in yeah. the Big Ten play in three years. Not just the worst, like definitively the worst for a guy who came for the NBA is shocking. I don't even know how to explain this. It's like these are two different. It's like he went to the NBA and the NBA broke him. It's yeah. too bad because something fun was happening in Nebraska there under Tim miles. When they made the tournament, they built that new stadium, which is a really cool arena right there yeah. in the, the Haymarket district. It's a, it's, it's really like one of the underrated fun environments in the big 10 is going to Nebraska during basketball season in a weird way. But uh, I think the way the miles era ended was just too big of a stumble and they couldn't afford it. And now I don't know how you, I don't want you to do to pull, pull out of it. You're going to have to get just a transfer that, um, gives everybody whiplash or something because it, it's got to take something like that. Uh, the overnight fix is a long way off. I got a fix uh, for Nebraska basketball. Uh, it's going to cost some money. It's going to cost some money. And I, I know he's coaching the Clippers right now, but you get Tyron Lue to come back and save the alma mater. Back. It's nope. the Jim Harbaugh pitch. He's come save back. your school. He's yeah. like the greatest player in Nebraska history. Ty, come, hey, Kawhi, Paul George, they're a pain, man. Come save Nebraska basketball. They'll give you $12 million a year. The Lakers have a better chance of getting him to come across the hall to coach LeBron again than Nebraska has if could ever get him to coach college basketball. Well, did you say $12 million a year? That's, that's like come the on. gross domestic product of Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Just go down. Get we, will give you, we will give you the school. You will just, we'll make you president and AD. Just come. Just get It'll be Warren, Buffett. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's right there. What's he get? Twelve? Yes, twelve million dollars in his couch. I, right I think now. Warren Buffett probably being a Creighton fan long ago. So anyway, that's yeah. the list. Uh, sorry to Nebraska, but when we talk about not that sorry, what do we care? No, when we talk, I'm, I'm not apologizing. I'm not apologizing because you guys made terrible hires that everybody thought yeah. were great. It's not our fault. Sorry so, is like when someone comes and tells you, like, yeah, I just I was I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, and I drove into a telephone pole, and you're like, oh man, s- sorry. <laughs> like I I feel for you, but you kind of did that. And and Maryland basketball will make a good hire. Yeah. Right. Like this is yeah. a little bit of a blip um, that that they're not on here because Mark Turgeon left in the middle of the year. And, uh, you know, he'd been a good coach for them and that's a good basketball program. Like they'll be okay. I assume their coach will be, you know, up on this list. He had made um, one, two, three, four, five, six. 
he had made, I mean, if you count the COVID year, they would have made it the COVID year. They were 14 and six in the big 10, the COVID year, they won the big 10 that year. Mm-hmm. They, he made the tournament six out of seven years at Maryland before this mm-hmm. year. So like they're, they're a consistent program. They're going to get, they're going to, they might get somebody awesome. Yeah. They're going to, they're not going to hire the Micah Shrewsbury's of the world. They're going to go hire someone legit. They might go you know hire how- like Chris Beard or something, you know, like, and you then know- it's on. Right. You know how like the football team very much, lost out by the fact that Maryland joined the Big Ten. The basketball team has benefited ma- majorly by joining yeah. the Big Ten. Yeah, they're they're a really good program. So this is a little weird blip here. And by the way, the one thing we didn't talk about, there still could be some movement. Um, Brad Underwood, Kansas State grad. And when you Google Brad Underwood right now, there is a lot of Brad Underwood to Kansas State stuff. I think Kansas State wants him. Bruce Weber just resigned as the coach there. Kansas State's a good basketball program. Is it a better basketball program than Illinois? No, it's probably in the same range. Kansas State might be a slight step down, but not really. And he played there and he grew up in Kansas for part of the time. So I'll be curious to see how that unfolds. I mean, Illinois would recover from it, but again, he's he's got a little something going there. So I'll be curious to see what happens with that. We'll be curious to see where Maryland goes with its basketball hire. I, I like that. That actually, that turn. I thought this would be fun, Stephen. That turned out to be as, as fun as I anticipated. Yeah, I, I I felt like we were on the same page with a lot, and, that, that, and I don't know how often that happens. Obviously, there's a few like the hardball thing. I mean, that's fine if Nathan wants to pick him there. I'm not gonna chastise you for doing that, but it did feel for the he's in the range. It's not like I had him 21st on the list and you picked him fourth. That's ridiculous. I we've done a lot of these drafts, and there are times when it feels like we're not always on the same page. This one felt like on the same page. And I feel like if we put this list out, most people would agree with it. What, what's more difficult, qualifying for the football playoff or making an one elite eight in football or basketball? So now you're just making up podcast topics for the summer. So I'm just saying there's only two coaches who've made a playoff on this list. And there aren't that many that have actually made an elite eight either in basketball. But it is. Uh, it is. The argument for why it would be an elite eight is because getting to the playoff runs through one team. And it's like, if you beat that one, unless you're Penn state, then obviously that one team still gets in over you because that's how the world works. But it's, you know what, you know what the answer is to getting to the playoff as a big 10 football team. It's having a decent year and then beating Ohio state while with the elite eight, it's a billion different variables that come into play. The hard thing is obviously Making the playoff or making a New Year's Six Bowl in college football is a definitive indication of how good your season was. And making the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 in college basketball isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily that. Ohio State basketball last year, if they were a football team, they would have made the eight-team playoff, right? Or they would have made a New Year's Six but they lost in the first round. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you didn't have any. So it's, it's, it, this is where obviously we know it's apples to oranges with some of this stuff, but I like this list. It's fun to compare Ryan day to Matt Painter and Tom Izzo. I think that's fun. I could talk Matt Painter versus Ryan day all day. And I think placing Chris Holtman about 12th got picked 12th in our draft, I think is informative 20 coaches in the big 10 men's basketball and football. He's 12th. I hope people enjoyed that. We'll come back. We'll we'll get the texters in on this, 614-350-3315. We'll do the combined rankings. This was one of those things the year that Ohio State with Odin and Troy Smith lost to Florida in both national championship games. And there's a lot of talk back then about like combo programs, right? 
I'll be curious to see where Ohio State winds up on our combo list. We'll do that on Wednesday. For now, thanks to you guys for listening. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Bye.